0: 32 42. You know, I can't count that high, I don't have that many fingers and toes. We got to stop at 20. All right, that's the rules. All no, right,
1: on. only, only if we use scientific notation,
0: uh, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> so, hey, all you crazy sci fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king. The Sky is the Limit, and Space is the Place. So without further ado, we've got returning alumni of the show. Well, technically he was here when we were the uh, sci-fi shenanigans, but welcome back, Mr. Ross Buzzle. Thank you very much.
2: Uh, Buzzle. yes. Buzzle. okay. Uh, It's okay. Nobody gets it right.
1: You should have gone to Georgia Tech. (laughs) It would have been great. The mascot's name is Buzz.
2: That would have been fantastic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So for people who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself to the audience?
2: Uh, of course, yeah. Like, uh, you know, like you said earlier, my name is Ross Bizelle. Um I have been in the book writing game for just a couple years now so i'm, I'm kind of new to it and i'm honestly I'm, I'm really enjoying it before that though um i was uh, i did a lot of screenplays a lot of like tv shows movies that kind of stuff nothing that anybody would have ever seen because none of it ever got picked up but that's okay because i just turn them into books and release them for everybody so we're good there <laughs> that's with um, cycling Exactly, recycling. That the re, well, what is it? Reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, <laughs> Captain Planet likes you. Yes, yes. Ho- well, hopefully, because I would not want to be on his bad side. I've seen what he can do. I grew up with that cartoon. Um, I would be dating myself a little bit there, uh, but I also um, grew up uh military kid, so I never really had one place that I stayed for more than just a couple years, moved around a lot. But I feel like it's a, you know, it's an experience. I definitely wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for the world. And honestly, I think I feel like it got me to where I am today to even be able to have this conversation with you all.
0: Well, we're glad you're here. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, we get to tell you how we first met them. So this isn't something we normally talk about. We we try to keep things lighthearted. But I actually met uh, Ross at a Bookaholics Anonymous group meeting. Mm-hmm. I thought we were, were doing really well. We were making progress. We were about to earn our chips. But then they ran out of salsa. So we just turned the page and moved on. And the rest, as they say, is history.
2: Yeah. that what? No, I, I remember that we're one. Meetings? I, I uh
0: Seska says meetings are for quitters. Meetings
1: are for for lovers. (laughs) Good to know. Something like that. Is is that
0: where like nine months after cons babies are born? Is that how this works? Because Cons are for lovers? I have no idea. I'm not going to say
1: anything. My (laughs) kid was born between cons.
0: All right, well then we want to keep this family friendly. We've already had one NSFW <laughs> show in this podcast history, and we, we don't need any more. So doc ask him the religion question.
1: Oh yes, Star Trek Babylon Five or Starship Troopers.
2: Oh, you wound me with this one. You you left out the Star Wars people.
1: We had to get some variety.
2: Okay, okay. I would have to say, oh, that is see if you rooted uh, to
1: your soul, we'll let you answer with Star Wars anyway.
2: No, that that's okay. I'll play. I'll play by your rules. I would have to say Starship Troopers.
0: I I did once where we had I said Star Trek, uh, Deep Space Nine or something, and Seska about lost her mind. Oh yeah, uh, she went she went nuts. So, no, it is. Deep, Deep
2: Space Nine is Star Trek. It is Star well, Trek. I get it
0: confused because I think Deep Space Nine in my head automatically goes to Babylon Five because I remember <laughs> the controversy where the lawsuit and all of that for IP theft and and so I sometimes yeah, mix yeah. it up in my head. But she like she went nuts. It was just hilarious. I thought about trying to sneak that in again, but she there isn't fully the recovered from. The with
1: Trek Wars and um and Star. Uh, what was it? It was Star, Star Wars and Star Trek, but you like mixed them up and it was like Trek <laughs> Wars or something. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about?
2: That sounds Sometimes like you had some it. righteous anger, Doc. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one.
0: <laughs> See? Sometimes I, I write things just to mess with her. Like I put uh, Pern where it rightly belongs in the fantasy section and then she goes <laughs> a little bit ape.
1: I do not go a little bit ape. I go exactly the level of ape that should be done.
0: All right. Well, we'll move on and we'll, we'll ask him the next one because you are the fantasy maven. So, ask oh, the way.
1: Oh, oh, yeah, you're trying to be nice. Uh huh. The Neverending Story, Chronicles of Narnia, or Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief?
2: Oh, you know, I, I grew up listening to the Chronicles of Narnia on audiobook every single summer when we'd do road trips as family. And it was oh. like really long road trips. Um, so, I would have to say, Chronicles and Narnia just cuz it's got a little bit of nostalgia there. Well,
1: like and they're that. good. They actually did a really great job when they did the movies for
2: that. They did. I'm
1: super impressed cuz uh I really always am. Like every other fans like, "Yay, book, movie adaptation." I'm like, "Yay, movie adaptation. Back, back." So,
0: I I, I, thought I all agree three with of those were, were pretty good movie adaptations. I know the only thing I didn't like about Percy Jackson is some of the stuff they cut out would have worked if they continued the story and kept the movies going, but they just dropped it after the first movie.
1: But the books are so good.
0: They are so good. I used to have them, and when I was working, I lent it to my boss, and then she ended up moving because her husband was military. And before she gave them back to me, she moved away, and a whole set in hardback she has.
2: Rookie mistake, man. You never lend anybody anything.
1: No, I, I actually did this mistake once. And then I had to stay, keep dating the guy for like an extra couple of weeks,
2: so to, just to get your stuff
1: back because <laughs> I wasn't dumping him until I got my book back.
0: That's that's appropriate, but her husband might have had a problem if I kept dating her. So you know, you know how that goes—a little pesky thing like that. But yeah, it, it wouldn't have bugged well, me if it was, it was the a paperback.
1: But still, I wanted my book back.
0: Right, it it would have been nice if it was just a paperback, but I had the hardback ones, and I'm like, oh,
2: that hurts. Yeah, so
0: so now nobody touches my hardbacks but me.
1: Uh, Dude, no, no, you know you're a big book collector when you have the shelf of saving, which is if your house is on fire,
2: you you, grab that shelf
1: out, and then you pull those those that shelf out.
0: My, my dad had that theory about coffee pots when I was a kid. When we would go camping, he would tell me that.
1: God, your dad um, was Navy, wasn't
0: he? He was. My stepdad was Navy. And so he would say that uh, in the event of emergency, save the coffee pot to include when we were camping. Uh, because he can always have more kids, but coffee pots are expensive.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Not admittedly, much. they do cost more than what the army, the military charges for a kid.
0: <laughs> this is true, true. TriCare <laughs> is an amazing thing. So. Well, all yeah. right, let's.
2: Also, like my my dad was Navy, and I can attest, I can I can speak to this. Whenever he has cut himself, um, it's not red. He bleeds. He literally bleeds coffee. So I believe it. Yeah, Navy guys and their coffee is just—you don't mess with it.
0: You could stick a spoon in it, and it'd probably stand up straight because it's got mm-hmm. so much sludge in it. I believe that.
1: Yep. Yeah, apparently they don't wash their coffee cups, I've been told too.
0: Oh no, no, no. That's like a party foul for them. <laughs> you don't spill the beer and you don't wash your coffee cup. <laughs> like we had we we set him off one of the times he woke up half asleep because he came home late from from one of his I don't know overnight shifts or whatever when he was active duty. And we had a brand new coffee cup of the same kind he had, and we had it sitting out waiting for him. With, his, with the coffee, like, just hit play. Your coffee's ready. And he flipped out because he thought we really had washed his cup. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. this is too easy. This was too easy. That's gross. I know. I wash mine periodically.
1: <laughs> They're washing more often than periodically. <laughs>
2: you just give it a quick rinse. You just give okay. it a quick rinse. So long, so long as the, the milk that you put in there doesn't start curdling and, like, turn the next cup sour, you're good you're good.
0: So the other problem with that doc is that I'm running out of Villanova coffee cups. So when I when I was going to grad school there, I worked for for dining services. Oh, breaking my... them. No, but the, it's been a decade. All right, they're just wearing out from use. But I've been looking for like replacements and quality coffee cups with college, like logos on them aren't there. Most of it's just crap. Right? So I've, I've gotta I gotta milk them. I gotta make them last. Mm-hmm. And the dishwasher is Have bad you for them.
1: coffee cups for Christmas.
0: I mean I wouldn't say no. <laughs> so I, I do have the coffee cup that's in my display case from from Jonathan Yanez a mutual friend of ours cuz he had one made professionally where they like itched, uh, etched the logo into the metal but it was so pretty I didn't want to ruin it so like I've got to put it on display cuz it's got the wolf head in it but I, I got to find something like that like where it's quality but it still has the logo I
2: just I got to find it, an answer. This way you you buy a second one and use only the second one.
0: See, that's what, see, he, he understands, he knows. I so understand. how do you take your coffee?
2: Oh, uh, it. so I worked for Starbucks for a, a long time. and Me too,
0: I was a Black Apron barista once.
2: I, I was a Black Apron barista and I was barista champion in 2016 and second oh, place in 2017. Thank you. So I'm a bit of a coffee snob um, and I don't Wait. like it.
1: Is there actually a thing about them being the color of the apron?
2: Yes. Oh yeah. To be to in order to be a coffee master, which is the black apron. And by the way, the my manager got my nickname etched or uh, embroidered into my apron, and it was Buzz. Um, So so there you go. (laughs) Um, You have to. It's like a three to six month long process uh, where, um, and then it's it's honestly like. In order to prove that you are coffee master material, you actually have to do a presentation like you're defending a master's thesis, and yes. um, you have to pair different coffees with different foods and talk about the flavors, the smells, like how they blend together. And uh, they are capable
1: be... of doing this.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, I realized did that you, you know their coffee.
1: Huh? No, you can't. I you believe you didn't I'm wondering if JR cheated. It's There's very hard to,
2: to cheat. cheat. There is really no way to cheat. And like, I ended up making my own blend. So um, it's like
1: being a coffee sommelier.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So anytime you see a black apron person, they, they did their work. But they don't um, do that
0: anymore. They got rid of it because. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably cost them money because, you know, you're on the clock when you're doing all this training. Mm-hmm. And then part of the training for it was we had to do uh, food safety classes, like, you know, cook the food to X number of degrees for X minutes based on fill in the blank, like all that restaurant management type stuff. Um, it used to be required to be management uh, eligible at Starbucks. You had to be a black apron. Yep. But but we didn't come here to talk coffee because Seska is rolling her eyes like these two are weird. <laughs> So, that that means, is true. I
1: am very happy that I got given uh, a coffee syrup infusion my brother made <laughs> before Dragon Con and he gave it to me and he goes, here's the two primary two of the primary food groups of, of a track director. You provide your own booze, though.
0: <laughs> so there was one and I can't remember the name of it because it's been a while um where there was a, a chocolate flavored coffee that we used to sell that was it was more expensive for a half pound than most of them were for a pound so mm-hmm. that's what i did my i'm drawing a blank though it's been it's been a decade or so um but yeah it's uh it's a lot of fun yeah
2: but and and to, to answer your question depends on the the kind of bean that i get and the kind of flavor of the coffee that i get if i get one of the cheaper beans then i have to put a flavored creamer in there just to kind of and my goodness i sound like a snob Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, you are if,
1: such a hipster <laughs> when it comes to your coffee.
2: If it, uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, you are not wrong there. And I am so sorry for that.
0: Um, it's, it's okay. So by the time you're done with the but, Black yeah, Apron course.
1: You can come to Dragon Con and provide me with as much coffee as you can find to provide.
2: Sounds good.
0: So, so by the time you're done with this course, Doc, you can hear color and see sound. You'll have that mm. much caffeine in your body.
2: she's oh, I, I just do that
1: after, like, Four Nights of drinking, gun and no sleep.
0: <laughs> that, that, that is valid. But although it sounds like she has it better because they have alcoholic beverages that they can mix with their coffee. And Starbucks frowned on that for some reason.
2: They only frowned on it if you got caught.
0: <laughs> this is also true because there were some late nights where I was working clothes but i i worked in philly when i was doing mine so it was a lot of snobbish you know waspy types so mm. it's an interesting crowd but anyway doc you're supposed to be anyway. moving side along this is all your fault
1: well, did, yeah apparently i did not know you guys were gonna have a love affair with coffee apparently
0: <laughs> every um, coffee affair is a love affair that
2: is true
1: fair enough but you guys were like a threesome over there so which was your first love though sci-fi or fantasy or coffee
2: um my first cup of coffee to bring you back to my childhood i was six (laughs) years old and it had whipped cream on it and it was delicious but anyway um (laughs) answer the real question there and i was actually like eight or nine i wasn't actually six not much better but still um, i would have to say it was you know that I would be tough. I would have to probably say sci-fi, but my parents introduced me to um, the original um, Star Wars. Um, the let's see, was it the no, not Return of the Jedi? Wow, I'm a horrible person. Um, oh my gosh, I just forgot the the Star Wars Episode Four. The subtitle for that, wow. Uh, but anyway, they they introduced me to Star Wars Episode Four and The Princess Bride on the same day. Um, okay. And so, and like Princess Bride's got that fantasy aspect to it. So, yeah. uh, but I would have to say ultimately, fan, uh, sci-fi.
0: Okay, that's a good answer.
1: So, oh, I will tell you, my son drank coffee for the first time at like three. He was so convinced that the black coffee was hot chocolate that he drank the black coffee and said, Hmm. cocoa." Cool, cool. mm.
2: How that? How that turn out. <laughs>
1: drink it and I'm going oh
2: god this is gonna it's be um,
1: interesting no nap time for mommy <laughs> I-,
0: I tried to put it in a side chat so you could see it and save yourself but it was a new hope there was a cool. new hope
1: okay I, so you kind of answered number hope. seven which was your first um experience watching or interacting with speculative fiction and so the
0: so now it's your turn Let's let's twist that a little bit then. So you talked about your first movie experience with Star Wars or with sci-fi and, and fantasy. What about your first book and your first like game? Do you remember those?
2: Uh first book was um that that wasn't like one of those like kitty books that the school makes you read for for the summer vacation or for points or whatever. Um I would have I if memory serves it was Frank Peretti's Hangman's Curse and that was kind of dark yes it was and it had the one that i had was a hardback with the glow in the dark uh spider web um cover that glowed yellow so i can't tell you how many times i would be laying in bed and i would wake up in the middle of the night and just see that glowing at me and like have a little heart attack um but like book even though it's it's it has i would like to say it has a more fantastical aspects to it even though it is based in science. Heavy air quotes there. But I'd have to say it was uh, Frank Paredes' Hangman's Curse.
0: And what about games? Do you remember playing any of the games? Um...
2: Um, you know what? It was um, it was a bounty hunter game for the N64. I can't remember the name of it to save my life. But uh, you played a bounty hunter that ended up siding with the, uh, with the rebellion. You had a jet pack, and it was tough as nails because you had the uh part of part of like the canyon um level you had to third person platform with a jetpack and that like janky n64 controller
0: it was shadows of
2: empire yes shadows of empire
1: i i wasn't even playing that on that
0: system, so i didn't get uh electronic like we're talking about a gaming console until i was out of the army and going to grad school my mom never let us have one she's like you've got a computer and it was keep in mind it was a commodore 64 it wasn't like you could do a lot with it yeah. but her idea was well, you could play hangman or whatever on the computer you don't need a, a nintendo or an xbox uh, no, no
1: no no i just played on the computer
0: so I ended up getting my first uh, was the Xbox. I got it. Uh, my I got first the operating
1: audience. system was DOS.
0: So when <laughs> I was going to grad school, I, I opened all the doors, all of the windows. I left all the lights on. I turned the heater and the AC on at the same time as I played the video game. So I could call my mom and be like, guess what I'm doing? All the things she never let me do. And then the next <laughs> month when I saw the bill, I had to call her back and I'm like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Man, that was the highest power bill I'd ever played <laughs> or ever paid, I should say.
2: You know what? Oh Some things God. in life are worth it.
0: Yeah, it was it was fun to call her and do that, but she just laughed. She's like, Call me next month when you get the bill.
1: Oh like, no, I right? just made my mother massively paranoid because I stopped telling her things. And she goes, Why are you doing this? And I went, Because when I stop start doing things you don't want me to know, I don't want you to know about and you don't want me to tell you about, then you're going to know because I'm suddenly not telling you things. And she goes, <laughs> No. No, just make up shit. Keep talking to me. You're making me paranoid.
0: Fair (laughs) fair point. Although sometimes making them paranoid can be fun. Ah, parents. So what is it you love about... Karma will come
1: back. Their grandchildren will torture us.
0: This is true. So instead, we're going to focus on speculative fiction and ask, what is it about the genre that you like
2: or love? Um, You know, I think that it kind of has the... It's really the same with any any sort of medium that that allows you to um, that allows you to just kind of escape reality for a little bit and and I know it's not much of an answer, but it's the fact that you you get to and it's something that every book or movie uh, provides. But you get to step into a different world and um, for forget about the well, uh, no, the crap show that uh that's going on out here
0: fair point i like that so how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you writing stories uh you mentioned in the pre-show that you also wrote movie scripts so how did all of that start for you the writing
2: um so actually it started because i did theater growing up every chance that I got did plays all this other stuff. And then um, whenever I went to college, my major was mass communication media. So I would work with um, my media class. We did like, oh, m- um, news stories. we filmed, um, music videos, short stories, that kind of thing. And, one of our field trips, if you want, actually it was a pretty awesome field trip was to go and see a movie being filmed in Springfield, Missouri. And there I met one of the producers that he's like, you know what? I've got a couple of movies coming up in the, that we're filming in the area. If you want to be a production assistant, we'll happily have you as a production assistant. So after school and on, uh, on weekends, I would go into Springfield from where I went to um, from where I went to uh, college and I would be a production assistant for, I think it was like four or five different films and just kind of fell in love with it. I was like, you know what? I've had these stories that I've been developing since high school. I would like to put them on paper. So I turned them into a script and uh, entered those scripts into screenwriting competitions, such as big break, um, which is one of the biggest, I think it has like a quarter of a million or no, not a, uh, yeah, I think it's a quarter of a million or more uh, submissions every year. And, um, I placed in, I think it was third in that one. And the guy who judged my script, he's like, this is he, man masters of the universe meets man of steel. You need to turn it into a book. And so that's what got me starting to write books and, uh, did that for a little bit before I ran into Jonathan and, uh, man, that, that guy has helped me out more than I could ever describe,
0: he has an infectious quality about him, that is for sure.
2: In the best way possible.
0: Although he's also part cyborg, so that helps him. I don't think he sleeps.
2: <laughs> no, he I writes more in a either. week than
0: some authors write all year.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey,
1: hey, don't knock on George R. Martin. Also, that's easy.
2: Oh, okay, fine. He writes more in a week <laughs> than some authors write in a decade. That's if, if we're we going to can- go there.
0: Yeah. So many authors let their own real life experiences influence the kind of stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that shape you as a storyteller?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, The biggest one I would have to say would be um, in ninth grade when I was 14, my dad got deployed to Sweden um, to be a naval attache over there. So he worked at the embassy. Well, my sister and I went with him. And so not only our first uh, so we went to live in a different country for four years and my parents wanted us to have the full immersive Swedish culture because they went to the um, America or the International School of Stockholm and they asked a guy in Swedish who'd been there for an American kid who'd been there for four years in Swedish where the restroom is, which is Vera Toilette. Even if you don't know the language, you can kind of pick out toilet. Um, and he didn't know <laughs> what they were saying. And so my parents wanted my sister and I to be fully immersed in Sweden, uh, Swedish culture and learn the language and everything. So they sent my sister and I to a boarding school called, uh, long word here, Sigtina Skullan Humanistiska Lärvarket. And um, it was a boarding school. So I not only write that was... word is What?
1: I hate to write that word long oh
2: yeah oh yeah we so we we just abbreviated it to sshl but um within our first eight to 12 hours of not only being out of the country and being in a different country for the first time we were in a boarding school and so like that was such a formative time um that whenever like because culture shock is a real thing and um what ends up what ended up happening was my way of coping with it was I would write little short stories for myself and I would put the main character of these little short stories through what I was feeling as a way to kind of cope with it. Um, And so that, that kind of helped shape um, you know, how I write today because in every single book that I write, there will be a mention of Sweden there will be somebody who speaks Swedish. And oftentimes, because I try not to put language in my book so it can be kid-friendly, if there's a phrase in Swedish, it's because I'm censoring it for people who don't speak Swedish. <laughs> ah, yeah, hilarious. Um, They did
0: that in Firefly with the, uh, I think it was Mandarin they
2: used mm-hmm. for the cuss words. Yep um yeah
1: my my latin teacher taught us how to swear in latin
2: (laughs) but yeah so it's stuff like that like growing up um in different and in a different country and things like that i i like to incorporate into my books not only as a way to kind of express what i experienced there but also as a way to kind of pay homage to the place that made me who i am today
0: fair enough so normally this would be the part of the interview where we ask the veteran set of questions but you're not a veteran you did however mention you're a military brat so do you think other than just the references to sweden that that the nomadic lifestyle of of a military urchin um affects the the way you sort of tell stories
2: oh most definitely most definitely um because and this is going to sound like i'm being a pretentious snob like the coffee section earlier and i promise i'm not meaning to but um i've seen more of the world by the time i was 18 than a lot of people will see in their entire lives and because of that that has really shaped the really that that is just kind of shaped how really just just kind of my whole perspective on things um, and translate. And even though I, you know, I wasn't active service, I'm a firm having been a family member. I'm a firm believer that when there's a service member in the family, it's not just the service member who's serving. It's the wife who doesn't get to see her husband for um, weeks, months, years on end. that. Nobody else
1: outside of that culture, because it Mm -hmm. is a culture understands having been, Mm -hmm. um, I was an oil field brat, but then I was a vet. Then I was a a, a wife, a soldier wife.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I I know what you're saying. It's definitely a thing.
2: Yeah. So,
1: um, transitioning from the writing side, though, and talking about uh, the nomadic lifestyle, as JR put it, <laughs> what is the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with the fans since you started writing?
2: Um, you know what? I actually. So I only recently started getting, like, having interactions with fans. I had my... I Last month, I had my first bit of fan mail, which just sent me over the moon. And I got four pieces of fan mail last month. Sweet. And Yes. And one of them, actually, if you'll give me a second, I will pull up the individual's name. Because shout... First off, shout out to everybody who did send me fan mail. Like, you all are awesome, and I love you, and it did bring a little tear to my eye of joy. Um, but let me, let me see if I can find the individual's email real quick without, you know, going too deep in stuff. Um, but, I, yeah, I got this email... Um, from uh, his name is Shane Anderson. Shout out to Shane Anderson if you're listening. Um, he messaged me asking about sort of the background lore on a character in the Legends Online series, and it got me thinking. And like I like to do a lot of character development and background that just that the reader never sees, just to make the characters more believable. But his question actually got me thinking about the character in a way that I had never thought before and actually expanded, even though the series is finished, expanded the world for me even more than it already was. So I, I would have to say that was the craziest thing. I'm still new at it, but I would have to say as of right now, that's the craziest thing that I've gotten from a fan. So cool
1: quick rundown of what is your highlight reel of what you've written like what series have you done we're here to talk about we'll talk about that one afterwards
2: yeah uh, so I did write I, I I had two series that I released on my own before I even knew what I was doing so I took them down because they were crap at the time and I'm reworking them to make them better to re-release them trust me the editing the writing the tense it was just amateur hour over there but i have learned a lot i was able to incorporate it but uh it's um there is a superhero sci-fi series called the baronian that's kind of like my heart and soul um wait the bronian
1: or the brownian like as a bronies
2: no (laughs) like uh, i had to go there so i i understand and i have had people go there before too um so there is an element on the periodic table of of elements called boron oh, no.
1: i know boron's a moron it bonds it only has three valence electrons if... the gonna yell at me uh, i'm a chemist <laughs> have i told okay. you that because so i get excited when we get things like
2: that. <laughs> so do you, do you know what happens when you bond boron with carbon
1: bunch of different things can potentially happen depending on what you're doing
2: one of the one of the biggest things is it becomes borocarbide which they use in tank armor so the boronian like the element is uh it it, um, follows an alien species that accidentally seeded earth and uh the sort of standard toughness for them is that they're the equivalent of a uh, tank armor as far as durability goes all the way through, because they're, they are a carbon based life form, but they also are a boron based life form. So borocarbide. carbide. Uh, but anyway, that's off the topic. Let's get back. <laughs> let's get back off the bunny trail. Um, and then. It's no, um, a that's
0: cool, a cool um, way to go about creating things. I dig it.
2: Yeah. It, it was a lot of fun, and I got the i i, I really got the idea because um, I was told to do a presentation in high school off the periodic table of elements, and I was going through. and I was like, I didn't know krypton was an element. What other element sounds like it would be an, uh, a good planet name? It, I Oron, was in that is fantastic.
1: when uh, Krypton came out, and we all <laughs> watched it because it was named after
2: and and to everybody who doesn't know which i'm sure might be uh, some of you krypton is a noble gas that burns grain so that is why kryptonite is grain the more yeah. you know um anyway i'm sorry about that i change. like him we can keep him <laughs> <laughs> you would nerd <laughs> yes <laughs> um but the other one the other series uh it was called the embered lord and it was a dark fantasy series that, even though I'd never played the games, I had seen them be played and everything like that was influenced by like the tone and the uh, the tone of the Book of Darks as Dark Souls. Very cool. cool. And when are you thinking you're going to have those re released? Uh, the Baronian, I have four books in that series already written. Um, I have gone through and re edited two or three of those books um, and I would like to start releasing them I want to wait until I get a few more books in the series that we're going to be talking about later written before I go through re-releasing them um, because I do want to uh, release them on sort of a, a con- schedule and not do like four books released and then wait a couple of years and then release another book um, so I would like to and And it's kind of pricey. So I also need to save up for it too. Um, But I would like to start releasing them beginning of 2022.
1: That's not that far away.
2: That's not that far away.
1: No, it's really not. And we'll have you on when you start releasing them to talk about it.
2: Well, I appreciate that. And then we can nerd out a little bit more about chemistry and how I I made everything scientifically feasible. Yes!
1: We'll make DR suffer.
2: So I'm I'm down with it.
1: Have you noticed the I'm, irony that the sci-fi author doesn't like science, and the I like science just
0: fine. I just keep it. I keep the kiss principle uh, applied.
1: And this fantasy person is all about the science. <laughs> We're an odd mix.
2: Was it the Jesse Pinkman says, "Yeah, science." <laughs> so I like I like hand waving. I'm
0: a firm believer in that.
1: You that's because that's, you just wave your hand around because you're really using your fingers that count?
0: Well, there's that too.
1: So, but oh. we are here to talk about Legacy Earth tonight. Mm-hmm. And can you give us the premise of this universe?
2: So this universe, it takes place in uh, the 2500s. So it's humanity 500 years from now. So things like you know modern music is considered classical Um, stuff that is new and advanced to us is almost ancient technology to them. Um, But uh, this the the premise of this story is it follows the story arc I should say is it follows a military kid as he goes through OCS in. uh, is in Tampa, Florida, where the Navy actually has a really, well, had, um, it's gotten a lot easier now, but had a really difficult, um, AOCS, which is, um, oh, uh, OCS is officer candidate school. A, -A so OCS, and I'm going to let my dad down on this one. I believe it's, um, oh, airman officer candidate school. But like the dropout rate for that was insane. Like when my dad went through it, he lost, oh, I was like 30 or 40 pounds in six or eight weeks. Cause that's just how hard they ran you. Yeah. And so like I took the, the nightmare stories that he told me of that and implemented it into the OCS for, for this character. And it follows him going through officer candidate school and then Getting his first posting, and everybody wants to get post. Nobody wants to get posted, you know, at the crap post. Everyone wants the really cool post, and he ends up getting the really cool posting, which is on Mars. So it explores humanity as they have actually become a. I think it's called the Kraschov scale, um, a level two um, civilization on the Kraschov scale, where they have actually inhabited the solar system. As, okay. as a whole, and it, it kind of, as it goes on, it explores the fact that humanity finds out they're not alone in the universe, in that how they think they have dominated their solar system, they realize they're just the tip of a need, of the needle that is the populated Milky Way galaxy.
0: So uh, most of the people that drop out of the, um, the, the pilot selection courses that you're talking about mm-hmm. uh, actually fail with the oxygen deprivation in there, where well, they call it real hypoxia training. Mm-hmm. Um, where they basically have to go without oxygen and then wait however long and then put their mask on to get their oxygen. That's where um, a lot of people pan out. Like, they just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went to to grad school with a guy that, like, he went from being a pilot candidate to just a line officer in the Navy because he couldn't do, he, that's where he failed out of the course. And he told me that's where most of them wash out. So now instead of driving ship or fighter pilots or whatever, he drives chips so yeah
1: um, I mean there yeah, are worse things I guess to do
0: yeah I mean but I just I just thought it was kind of neat that it's it's the oxygen deprivation that gets a lot of people because it's it's not just about can you take it mentally but it's also about can you maintain your coordination as as the world's going to shit around you yeah. essentially and so. and
2: a lot of it has to do with like your biology. Your biology. You can have yeah. you can have the most you can have the strongest willpower on the planet but Your body can physically only do so much. And so if you want to do something, but your body physically can't, they, you know, they can't have you in a position where your body could fail, even though your mind wants to keep going. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what was the premise of this? Too much, uh, too much coffee, too much oxygen deprivation?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Where'd you get
2: the idea for this book? Um, so actually, it was a couple years ago, I was whenever I was first introduced to Jonathan, um, I was asked to write a tester piece for um, the opportunity to be a ghostwriter for um, another author. And so I was like, OK, well, what would be a good action set sci fi piece that could um, that could display my range as an author and so i came up with this cool little um battle assessment where there's you know the good guys have an objective there's bad guys there and then there's a variable that an unseen variable that comes in and throws a wrench in the works and um after i'd written that it was only like four or five pages long sent it off ended up they ended up liking it i got the job but that sample piece that I wrote, it never got used. Um, and what I ended up writing had nothing to do with that sample piece. and I just developed I was like, you know well, what what would it be like if I developed this piece into a story? So it actually is me expanding my first really audition piece to be a professional write, uh, author um, into a full length 16 20 book series
1: wow that's, a, that's cool. a pretty long series
2: it is but there's so much to say and so much cool so many cool scenes i, I want to write you no know,
1: and when you have a really great universe i mean if somebody was to write the history of the human race that wouldn't be one volume
2: that's true that is very so true.
1: um but we really want to look at that uh, amazing cover art you have jr tells me it's very sexy
2: it it is it is quite it is quite <laughs> sexy
1: jr are you gonna show it to us or what near <laughs> god i had to ask that
2: there we go
0: Ooh, I, I, I was like looking it. for a witty uh r- rapport to that but i'm like yeah. if i say what i really want to say we're gonna have to market not safe for work and then they're gonna be disappointed in us because we can't monetize it and it's just well you all
2: can right always- I'll behave. You can always text it to us. It's not like they're gonna see the texts.
0: <laughs> we, we'll I think
1: talk we had, later. I had one listener tell, who's a friend of mine, go, "I want to know what was being said in the text window that episode." I'm like, no, nope. Well,
0: sometimes, sometimes
1: we, don't. Nope, nope, nope. Maybe one day yep. when we have time, we'll set up a Patreon and we'll just be like, here for fifty cents, you can read what weird shit we texted to each other on the end.
2: Exactly.
0: I, I don't know how we save that. I, I, like, if the, if well, we could, no. like, I don't know. I don't know. That's your job that to figure out. So that it's never going to be figured at. out. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, so, we'll, anyways, we'll put a plug really in there when awesome. we come back to
1: it. I like the armor. It's not like full-fledged Space Marine Master Chief, but you definitely get some of the same vibe with the helmet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I like it.
2: And the the artist, oh man, I, I forget their name and really and like wish the sky that...
1: Skyline's not even. Does that mm-hmm. makes sense, but it's like things are at an angle, so it's almost like a camera that you know when you take a camera and you're like running, you get that funny angle.
2: Mm-hmm. It it like shows that. action.
1: Yes, there you go. I have words now.
2: And and he's got
0: trigger discipline, which I approve of.
2: Yes, always,
1: always with the trigger discipline.
2: And uh, and uh, Jr, if you know if if you like trigger discipline and like barrel discipline i would strongly suggest you read this book because there's like half a chapter completely dedicated to and this is why you don't flag your teammate
0: awesome awesome do you have this in audiobook (laughs) because because i might i got a credit waiting
2: um actually um there. i'm not even sure if i'm supposed to be talking about this yet but um it'll be a secret
0: just you and uh, me and saska and whoever's listening Okay, oh
2: sounds <laughs> sounds good. So actually the uh, the first 8 books of the series have been picked up to be made into audiobooks so far.
1: Ooh, with Audible <laughs> or Podium?
2: Um it will be it's actually from a different company. And ironically, like I should remember this because Tantor, I, Tantor yes. I sh- and I don't know why I don't remember the, don't remember that name because like I've never <laughs> heard of Tantor before probably the about a month ago before and, they wanted
1: to come give you a big check
2: b- before about a month ago <laughs> yeah. and uh a character that i created whenever i was 16 i named tantor so i should remember that um and now i'm gonna have to change his name now that i know that but yeah so uh it'll be uh, they will release it on audible though um so it will be available on audible
1: awesome you'll have to let jr know so he can go spend it his credit
2: yeah,
0: yeah there's also uh so there's the big ones are podium audible uh tantor and blackstone are the four big audiobook producers
2: okay yes so,
1: so um yeah jr is like disciplined and he waits for credits i just look at them and go um mental health money spent
0: I have a <laughs> budgets hello. are a thing
1: i have uh, a budget
0: Budgets I should are probably go thing. to
1: therapy, but I spend my therapy money on audiobooks.
2: Budgets. Well, I mean, are audiobooks a thing. could
0: be therapy. I could get that.
2: But as the person who gets a little bit of that money, buy the book. <laughs> therapy.
0: <laughs> buy <laughs> the they book. All right. So, moving on to the book that we were just talking about, what would your thirty-second <laughs> elevator pitch be?
2: Oh my. Th- okay. So, thirty-second elevator pitch for. Are you talking about for book one or for the series?
0: Well, we can do both. We'll start with the series and then we'll go on to book one.
2: Okay. Uh, 30 second elevator pitch for the series and go. Okay. So imagine how would humanity that spans in the almost trillion uh, um, as far as population go that has almost taken over the entire solar system react to find out that not only are they not alone in the universe but they are a drop in the bucket compared to the next smallest uh, the next smallest civilization Um, imagine you know exploring uh, finding out about all of these different cultures and different alien races that not only outclass them in numbers and in physical prowess, but in technology and more terrifyingly in military power, uh, in military power.
0: Okay. And now for the book one.
2: Um. So you ever wonder what hell week is like now? I- <laughs> well, if you want to know, but actually not actually like go through, um, and learn what exactly can make an 87% dropout rate. Like, go on as far as military training in the future, uh, theoretical military training in the future based off of today's training practices would go. I would suggest checking out Legacy Earth Book One because you get to see what makes a hard man and woman a hard man or woman.
0: Okay. I could like I that. like it. So what makes this series special?
2: Um, I I mean, I'm kind of biased about that. It's because I wrote it. I mean, why wouldn't it be special? <laughs> uh, but it, in all seriousness, I would have to say what makes this series special would be um, the fact that I've got, and I know that there are a lot of other people with access out there, but I've got access to firsthand stories of like a lot of the OCS training that went on through here. I sat down and had a two hour conversation with my dad about tiny little details about how his body reacted whenever he was doing certain training, um, and about how, um, how he felt physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, and I was able to translate that into this book. So, um, Usually, I like to pour a little bit of myself into every book, but I would have to say, in this book, I would be pouring a little bit of my dad into it and Aww. what he went through.
1: That's sweet. That's so cool, though. JR, don't get all the clumped
0: right, Say that one more time
1: flip-clumped, you know, emotional.
0: Oh, okay. So you're using words. I don't know what emotional means. I don't have emotions. They removed that at the NCL Academy. You're speaking <laughs> verboten words. So uh, which science... What? Don't laugh, Doc. You know it's true. So which tropes do you feel like Legacy Earth hits the best?
2: Um, I would have to say... You know what? I, w- I would have to say sort of the, the cheesy, angry drill sergeant. Um, that would be one of the tropes that I really enjoyed, sort of hammering into the ground. Um, but as far as like sci-fi tropes, um, the whole like advanced armor, uh, heads-up displays, like use of heads-up displays um, in in this series, they have their rifles are actually I call they're called HRG uh, HRG I think they're uh, dash twenty eights. And they're actually handheld, hand-held rail guns that is based off of the technology that we have now, just shrunk to be about the size of that rifle there.
1: Sweet. Okay. I like that. No, JR, you can't have one.
0: Why not?
2: Yes, JR, but you can. You're not the have author. One. Just don't use the tungsten rounds.
0: I'm sure it'll be okay, sure. it'll all work out. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what, uh, what genres, um, it sounds like it's military, um, fiction subgenre, but does it Mm -hmm. fit anywhere else or?
2: Um, I would have to say, so the first book is definitely military fiction, um, sci-fi, that whole uh, shtick. But as the series progresses, it rapidly sort of adds, um, it, it, it even it grows into a sprawling space opera as well.
0: Okay, that sounds interesting. Awesome. All right, Doc. What? It's your it's your turn. <laughs> I know it's been a while. You're out of practice. Sorry,
1: I I've I, I've had many many sleeps. Not really. Question twenty. No, now the... what?
0: Question twenty. I'm sorry. Clearing my throat. So
1: I started to read it. Go ahead. So why don't you tell us a bit more About your main character And what makes him special
2: and unique Okay so um, And it's ironic that you word it that way So his name is Lance Warder um, He is uh, just Normal He grew up military His dad is The major general of And yes that's right It's called Space Force <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, his dad is a major general of space force and his, uh, his brother joined as well and uh, was part of space force. Um, so like really what makes him special and unique is the fact that he's not, he grew up in a military family um, with a, uh, every man in the military in his family joining the military. And then, He's the youngest. He steps up and he joins the military as well. And, and also to kind of hammer it home, his name's Lance Warder. His dad's name is um, Leon Warder and his brother's name is Lincoln Warder. So even down to his name, there's nothing that depicts him different from any other, uh, even his older brother. Um, There's, and uh, there's a sort of a, a, a subplot in here about um, military uh, uh, like a boxing championship that even his, his, he carries around the coin that his brother won for winning the boxing championship. And he enters to to kind of show his, or uh, to, yeah, to prove, to prove that he can do it too. So there's really, as far as who he is as a character, it starts off with him being a mold of his father and his brother that sort of they molded him into wanting to be join the military. And um, it's only after book one, actually a little bit about halfway through book one and then beyond where he actually starts developing who he is as an individual. But, but I will say this and, Minor spoiler, nothing story-wise. But what does make him physically stand out from everybody else is he has a mutation in, oh my gosh, I can't remember the gene, but it is in the book and I have it in my notes. But it essentially makes his bones almost twice as dense as the average person. So it makes it a lot harder for him to break any bones. And here's the thing. It's an actual condition. It's called dense bone syndrome. And a lot of people don't even realize that they have it But, like, if you've ever, like, there are people who have taken, like, really bad falls or gotten hit, and it's like, that should have broken something, and it doesn't, like, that's usually what people find out. And then, of course, they go get tested. That's usually how people find out that they have the dense bone syndrome, is they take a hit that would have broken anybody else, and it doesn't break them. It's nothing superhero-wise, though. It's actually based in real science.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Okay. So and um, I was gonna Google it, but we'll, we'll move on because I could probably find what uh, <laughs> what gene it is.
1: It is okay. Leave it to the reader to find it. So, <laughs> now that jr, we're not gonna let jr. give out all the science spoilers. Um, are there any secondary characters that are especially memorable to you?
2: I love Justin and Dexter. Those two. Are my favorite because, um. So, admittedly, I was watching Game of Thrones whenever I started writing this. Watching Game of Thrones again, who, and who, I was who like,
1: wasn't? "I mean, come on."
2: That's true. And so, like, whenever I was doing the character character creator, uh, I was like, you know, who do I want to base like these characters off of? And just the smart mouth of Tyrion Lannister, just like that. That is why I started watching it again. It was just for. Tyrion Lannister and so like I based Justin off of Tyrion Lannister to the point where he's even an actual dwarf like the character is a dwarf he's a pilot and like that's his big as a side character that's his big hurdle to getting through AOC is how is somebody who is as physically limited as him going to be able to keep up with all of these people who are six foot three six foot four and you know, be able to still graduate. And, uh, so he's like, he's the smart mouth pilot that, um, he actually is also, um, he, he has got a lot of ingenuity to the point where he actually creates a chair that allows, cause I believe the shortest pilot in recorded history was four foot 11 and he's four foot eight. And he actually quotes, that the or he's yeah, he has four foot eight and he actually quotes the four foot 11 pilot as hey I, he did it I can too um but his best friend is named Dexter and he is six foot six and so needless to say there are a lot of dwarf jokes and a lot of tall jokes thrown around between the two and it's just a lot of fun to write the banter for both of the characters
1: that's awesome I like good dialogue is priceless and a good book so but do you have any bad guys that you want to talk about or is it just kind of like this is a, a journey book
2: oh so that yes this you is you know a I, book. I would
1: say kind of if you've ever done basic training your drill sergeants in some ways are
0: the bad guys
2: that's true a coming of age story i guess uh, so this is kind of a coming of age story but it also sets up Yeah, you know what, I'm going to say it. It sets up three different villains for the series that are going to be a massive pain in Lance's side. Um, And potentially even a threat to the galaxy at large. But I'm going to leave it to the reader to see if they can find out who the third one is, or what the third one is, or where the third one is.
1: Mm. Oh, that's... That sounds like a challenge. I'm quite sure we're going to have people going out finding this book. So <laughs> what would your characters do if they found you in a back alley and they knew what you'd done to them?
2: Um, well, <laughs> Justin would be like, seriously, you couldn't make me like three inches taller? Come on. Um, and then Dexter would probably laugh at him And then pat me on the back for making him taller. And then I think that uh, Lance would probably just give me the look of perpetual disappointment because of how I set him up between a few other characters um, that shall remain nameless at this point in time. But you will see when you read the book and the, the, the subsequent sequels
1: okay so you would survive it many authors don't think they will
2: yeah i'm kind to my characters up front it's only later on like books three and four that i really at least in series that are planned this long that i really start putting them through the grinder so they haven't hit they haven't quite hit that yet but i'm not done with the chapter i'm working on
0: Uh uh-oh all right so since we've been talking about characters Do you have a favorite character archetype that you use when you do your writing?
2: Um, Yeah, actually, I really like, um, I really like writing the love interest to the main character Um, just because, and this is very clear why if you meet my wife, you will understand. um, I really enjoy like strong women who like, aren't afraid to even if they don't know how to use it, they'll grab a shotgun and, like that's a bad guy i'm just shooting in that direction um or like be afraid to call out the main character on on their crap or even be really in in more ways than not the reason why the main character um the main character succeeds in whatever they're running into and not because it's like oh yeah i love her i've got to do it but more like yeah if she didn't do what she did just then you totally would have been dead like 30 minutes ago um so where it's they're actually like a a, not just a love interest but like a functional in-depth character in in and of themselves that honestly would probably be scarier to fight than the main character himself (laughs)
1: I like them already.
0: Okay, so this is the part where we pull back the layers and you tell us how the saucers are made. So were there any cool scenes or uh, or ideas that you cut from this first book that you thought were kind of neat that you'd wanted to tell people about?
2: Yes, so there is. And I can kind of tell people about this scene, but I think the only scene that I pulled from this book that I really wanted to put in was more development on the third villain. Um, and I had like half a chapter written up that was for. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I am cold-blooded. Uh, that, that is for that third villain. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this a slow burn. And he, they're only going to be barely hinted at in this book. And then gradually grow through the series to the point where, really, unless the reader is seriously paying attention, they won't realize what that third villain is, just like the main characters until after it's too late.
0: Okay. Yeah, you want you don't want to give everything away right away. I think it, it leaves some mystery there. Yeah. You want to leave just enough so they can, when they miss it, they can be like, "Oh, how did I miss this the first time I read the book?" Yep so finally what can you tell us about the larger universe so in many series where this uh story is uh, at least the good ones the story universe that where the story happens in is as much a character as the protagonist or antagonist so -hmm. can you give us a, a hint of what we can expect from your space force universe
2: uh yes so the um the universe is first off it is teeming with life there are hundreds, if not thousands of different species um, that will eventually make themselves known. But I think that the biggest part of the universe is that no, no, none of the races are advanced enough to actually like um, manipulate celestial bodies. And yet there are things that are set up that could not have been done by accident.
0: Oh, okay. That works. So there's enough mystery. I like that. Yes. Are you going to solve it? or Are you going to end it in a cliffhanger and leave us wondering? Looking at you, Uh, (laughs) SGU? So
2: it will be solved. I'm
1: angry about that still. I
2: want answers. Dang it. We you don't completion. deserve them. No answers for you. <laughs> forty-two
1: um, is your answer.
2: For you yes, guys? forty-two. Which, by the way, is several, several jokes in the uh, several jokes and cameos in the series are related to to the number forty-two. Um, so he's
0: he's proving his uh, his nerd creds yet again.
2: Yes,
1: <laughs> it's not his fault that he has good nerd creds.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it. Um. But uh, yeah, so it, it will all make sense and uh, but it won't be thrown together the way I'm putting it up, uh, setting it up. It won't be thrown together where it's like the main character is like, oh, hey, look at what I just found. Um, it's going to be a lot of it is going to be through character development and the passions of the peripheral characters doing what they love and discovering things that way that helps build the universe so it's it the lore of the universe will be like drip fed through not only the main character but primarily through the side characters and their passions and their personalities and what that drives them to find
0: Okay, so Legacy Earth is clearly part of a series. I know because you told us so in the beginning. So there's one book out, um, but how many more can we expect? You you mentioned eighteen. Were you serious or was that like a joke?
2: Oh no, I'm dead serious. I've got
1: giving David Weber a run for his money.
2: I've got three done. Um, I have. I'm working on four right now. Um, I have. So I have outlined for four. 13 or 14 books. But as I'm writing, I'm like, you know what? That side, that side, that side sentence that that person just said, that would make for kind of a cool story. And that's already added to the series itself. So it is, while I do have outlined like and by outline i mean this happens in this book which leads to this book so it's just literally the main thread that connects everything to make sure that everything gets written chronologically and properly um but as i'm writing that um more stories are revealing themselves and it's adding to the the series length
0: okay that makes sense. So we uh, we know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and or magic. So what sort of tech can we expect from these books?
2: Well, from the human tech, you can expect, essentially, it would be <clears throat> um, it would be based off of the theoretical technology that we have now. So like, for example, like I mentioned earlier, the HRGs, they're um, handheld railguns. It's we have rail guns now. The problem with making them smaller is we don't have a way to power it. But as we become more advanced as a species, our our uh, ability to make you know power cells smaller and smaller will eventually get to the point where um, it actually becomes a laser cooled, um, and that laser cooling system feeds uh, back into the power source for the rifle. So it actually become, it ends up becoming sort of like a self-fulfilling or a self-recharging uh, weapon. Um, there, For hum- mankind, at least at the point of book one, there are no shields, no like particle shields or anything like that. They're working on the idea of it, but due to World War Three and uh, another fairly large war, a lot of the technology has like throwing them back a little bit so honestly to kind of hit back at the star trek uh well um the star trek questions that we're talking about earlier um the ships are a lot more like the uh if i remember correctly is the voyager where they don't have shields but they can polarize their hull to make the hulls stronger and more durable um but there, there are alien, um, there are alien races out there. Like I said, that are a lot more advanced. And so, as mankind discovers these alien races, their technology will evolve, um, essentially book by book, with the allies that they make and the technology that they share.
0: So, when you talk about these aliens, did you do the Stargate model, where you like? have some of them that look like the iconic little green men and some of the ones you see in pop culture. Did you do any references to those when you described the aliens?
2: Uh, So actually um, book one, sorry guys, but there are no aliens in book one. (laughs) There are zero aliens in book one. Um, The only time you even see an alien ship is at the very end of book one, but you don't even see the aliens. So I know I'm kind of ruining the ending here and I'm sorry about nah, that.
1: That's fine. But we already know it's 18 books in total. That,
2: that's true. Uh, but, and in book two, you only actually physically see two different species of aliens. Um, one of them is uh, not ashamed to say it. Have, have you guys played mass effect or watched seen mass effect at all? Yeah. You know I played it. You know, the Turians. Uh-huh. So they are kind of inspired by the Turians, but they're called the Gallio, and they mm-hmm. are gallium-based. There's some more periodic table elements for you. Um, and then there's another race called the Tardigs, which are eight-foot tall behemoths with eight, eight limbs that are just, pardon the language, but damn near impossible to kill. Um, and if if anybody here wants to wants to kind of get a feel for anyone listening wants to kind of get a feel for how i develop these these characters where i take these aliens um inspiration from look up a tardigrade and that's kind of what inspired the tardig both name and appearance only much much larger
0: so when you went to college did you major in science or are you just a uh,
2: oh no i totally sh show- I should have become a scientist. Like I definitely should have. Become... I majored in mass communication, media, and communication, conflict, and dispute resolution.
0: So you wanted to work in HR, okay? And yes,
2: you just, you exactly. Kept... <laughs> so, you referencing...
0: so you kept uh, you referencing. Know, you science, create a so you kept referencing science.
1: Conflict, like... and now you have to resolve it.
0: Yep. I just was with all the the science reference. I'm like, are you a, like a functioning scientist in your day job? Is that what this is about?
2: Um, I have spent years of my life just learning about anything science that i can um i have um oh i listen to chemistry is
1: life literally
2: (laughs) yeah Uh, i listen to like um because science um oh uh kyle hill like he's a bit of he's kind of a jerk um to his listeners but his science is very very sound and like he goes through um you know the Omni tool in Mass Effect three that you can punch and it turns into a blade
1: yeah. yeah he
2: there's one of his episodes he actually goes into how we can scientifically make one of those now and how it would be be feasible to make one of those now um and so like i I learn a lot of science from like listening to uh science education um like youtube channels or uh doing like my own research like for example if two black holes are colliding in or are collapsing in on each other if you are able to uh, this is a scientific thesis or uh yeah thesis that is backed by actual some pretty interesting math if you're able to like ride the event horizon between both uh black holes you will actually rewind time for yourself. So you will come out on the other side right before you entered um, the, the like gravitational pull between both black holes.
0: So you should check out science and futurisms with Isaac Arthur. It's a good podcast for, for nerding out on that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, And he's an army guy. He was actually in Iraq when I was, we interviewed him back when we were blasters and blades uh, to break down some of the science. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm gonna to have to see if I can get him back on to do some, some new uh, new science stuff. But yeah, that's a really good one if you if you nerd out over that stuff. And okay. he just takes looks at various tech and what it would take and what it would mean and how close we are to various things. It's it's a lot of fun if you if you enjoy that kind of stuff.
2: Oh, most certainly. Yeah, uh, send me um, send me the uh, the the name of it that way I don't forget. I'll look it up whenever I get a chance.
0: I'll do that after, after the podcast, but anyway, I interrupted doc. So you have a few more questions you want to ask. I
1: was going to ask him of all the tech in his universe, which one would he have for daily use?
2: I, I would pick the CRISPR shot that all OCS, uh, graduates, all, I should say all OCS graduates with, certain that graduate at a certain degree of performance get because CRISPR is a very very long it's like let's see uh close you know i'm not even going to try it but essentially you it's where you mess with your own genetic coding and you can turn you can turn genes on and off yeah yeah and so like uh anyone who graduates um ocs at a certain level of performance gets crisper shots to increase their performance in general. So it's not quite creating a super soldier, but it's pushing the person naturally without needing to train or anything at all uh, beyond the average limit. So when you incorporate like weight training and that kind of stuff, it makes a borderline super soldier without being like, not to not to jab here at halo but without being like master chief where it's like okay you mutilated the person it's working within the confines of natural biology
1: so it's a little bit more like captain america
0: versus master chief
2: yes without the hand wavium.
0: yes so, CRISPR is CR Charlie Romeo India Sierra Papa Romeo, CRISPR, C R I S P R, and it mm-hmm. stands for clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. Yep. It's a form yeah. of gene editing. There's an interesting case that we won't hear about for probably another decade where a Japanese scientist, or maybe it was Chinese, uh, is Chinese scientist um, without parental consent, um, gene edited. Uh, like 10 to 12 babies under uh, before they were born while they were in utero. Uh, obviously they executed him in China. It was China. They executed him for, for that, but I'm curious to see what happens. He was trying to get rid of HIV. some sort of auto. Was it HIV? I think so. Yeah. Think so. It was some sort of disease. He was trying to see if he could cure by, by editing out the gene to make it possible. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um and- with following up with the kids because you know like we had dolly for instance for the artificial womb but the the sheep died really quickly with complications so we're trying i mean obviously you don't want to experiment on humans but he already did the damage so at this point so following it
2: so the problem you run into with CRISPR, though is you're editing genes you're messing you are literally mutating um what you have in your system and Because we don't have the understanding of the technology for it, when you mutate your genes, even to turn on good, um, you know, uh, like good genetic coding, like being able to lift more or perform better or be smarter, which you can actually do that. It's kind of an interesting thing to look into. You run the risk of cascading uncontrollable cancer growths throughout your entire body um
1: just a little thing just a little just just a little thing
2: um and so i mean obviously this is 500 years in the future so they figured out how to iron that out but that's why we don't do CRISPR right now to help with just any old thing because you you can literally fix anything in the human body but um the unintended consequences how would you
1: use the CRISPR shots for you
2: I would, I would honestly, I would use it as they do in the books just to increase. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use it to be like, like to a super villain level, but I would use it to increase my output overall as a person. Um, like perfect example is being able to uh, dilate time. Like if anyone has ever been in that situation where someone kicks a ball at your head or something's coming at you and you're like, Oh my gosh. And it seems like time stops. It's because your, uh, your brain can process you like your brain can only process so many frames per second, but when adrenaline is added to it, and this is why it seems like time slows down. Um, let's say your brain can process, 60 frames per second. When time slows down, it's because your brain is actually processing about 120 frames per second. It's not it's not sustainable, but your body can do it for very short bursts. Um and in you know, part of this is like part of the CRISPR um use in this book and then the series is it allows things of that nature to be able to be elongated. So when they have a burst of adrenaline, like the world almost stops around them and they're able to take in a lot more information. They may not be able to move at the same speeds, but they can react faster. And that's how I would use it. I would essentially use it to just become better. And who knows how I could use that to help people.
1: Awesome. So clearly our interview is winding down, but before we wrap this up, Is there anything about Legacy Earth we didn't ask that you want to tell us about before we move on?
2: Uh, Yes. So um, Legacy Earth, it is um, honestly like I think that it is. Oh, how to put it? Um, I mean, it. It with the way that we're going to be releasing it is going to be the first few books are going to be consecutive. So we're going to be releasing book one, book two, and likely book three back to back to back uh, book one just came out on the 17th. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, keep your eyes out for book, you know, book two a little bit later on, likely next month. Um, and that way you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be waiting for months and months for uh, the next book to come out. And that way you can, you can sort of dive into the series um, and get to know these characters as they're, as they're getting to know the universe. But um, as far as things in the story, pay attention to the small details. They will pay off. It may take a while, but the small details will pay off.
0: So do not skim.
2: Do not skim
0: you're trying to write the kind of book people can read multiple times and still get something new out of it.
2: Yes. As opposed
0: to the trend for bubblegum fiction.
2: Yes. Which has its place.
0: Like there's plenty of people that love that, but I hate it when I get through a book and I don't even know what the character looks like.
2: (laughs) Yes. And so actually, Oh, actually, yes, here, here's something that, that I'm going to, that I didn't, that we haven't talked about. And this will be real quick. Um, So, one of the, one of the things that is, this takes place 500 years from now. So the way that I pictured the world is that because, you know, um, as the world becomes more of a single, singular society for a strictly survival standpoint and expands out into the stars, they actually intermingle a lot more. So um, there actually isn't, really any as far as you know what the character looks like there isn't really any differential skin tone because everybody has um you know has uh made families with people of of different skin tones so everybody has sort of like a, a similar skin tone uh because you know dark eyes are a dominant gene the majority of um of the human race has dark eyes but there's like i think it's like one or two percent i can't remember what i wrote in the book you guys will see it um but it's like one or two percent of the population has blue eyes or like non-brown or non-dark eyes so they're all they're known as bright eyes and it's uh it's kind of a derogatory term but not really because in the way that I picture this uh, this future is that crap like racism is out the window because they realize that if they're going to survive in the stars, you can't be looking at things like that. Um, But it, it's makes certain characters stand out because they're known as bright eyes because they're part of that one or 2% that actually the recessive trait um, expresses itself.
1: Anne actually did the same thing with a bunch of her books and McCaffrey, particularly the Pern series. So, cause she was actually, she was asked at a dragon con why she goes, cause they've been trapped on the same planet with it just being them. They've yeah, all intermarried.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: So exactly. particularly cause this was a, a lost colony trip. So like they lost technology and then there would be a natural disaster. Well, how do you repopulate?
2: Exactly. You can't be picky. <laughs> That yeah. sounded bad. I did not mean it. Dad, to it, sound it did as bad as that bit, sounded? But, you know,
1: you know. I've seen those guys sometimes, or girls sometimes, are less picky than they should be. Your goggles are a thing. Um,
0: so, and if his wife is listening, you're absolutely. He's not talking about you, of course.
1: JR's watching out for everybody's marriage.
2: She's not listening. She will never be listening
0: oh you think God. that you think that but what she just might surprise you one day okay, listen to that interview and then you're gonna we're gonna come to the news and it'll be like local sci-fi author found dead stabbed 27 times
2: oh no i, w- I wouldn't be found dead i would be buried under the pool
0: as long <laughs> as you know where you would be
2: that's true no and honestly like i like I I say that like my wife hasn't really read any of my books and like, she won't really listen to any of this. And the people like, Oh, don't say that. And honestly, like I'm okay with it because this isn't her shtick. And I don't want her to like have to slog through the books or listen to an hour and a half long podcast. If she's got no interest in the subject matter.
1: I've met several wives who do that and they're like, it's not my thing. And that's Okay
2: exactly you know she, what?
1: i have this hobby and it's not his thing
2: she prefers the books written by matthew mcconaughey all right all right all right and the ones with the shirtless cowboys on the front fine that's her stick. Hey, hey
1: we have some we have some speculative fiction i i can lend her
2: <laughs> i would appreciate it if you didn't blue aliens and the like yep
0: all right we're gonna save this podcast from itself doc hey Um, hey!
1: hey, you know what i will say this one one of my favorite ones is like all it's about a bartender and it's like um a witch and a margarita or something like that and it's not like adulty but it is like if you watch um you like stories about guys like or a sassy bartender it's a lot of fun
2: okay
0: who doesn't like a sassy bartender, but Ross, before we, we go into that NSFW territory and you join uh, Casey Azell as the only other author we've had to do that to, how about instead you tell listeners how they can find you? And as usual, it will be in the show notes.
2: Of course. Yeah. So you can find me on, um, of course, on Amazon. You just look up Ross Bazell. I am literally the only Ross, other Ross Bazell um, that is below the age of 80. I think there's one more, but He's older, um, and then um, yeah, you can find me on Amazon. Um, you can find me on Inst- um, not Instamac. Wow, that is my work thing. Uh, you can find me on Instagram um, at uh, at author Ross Bazell with underscores between author, uh, author and Ross and Ross and Bazell. Um, and then you can also find me my Facebook group where I keep everybody up to date on on you know progress, new things that are coming out um, at uh on oh my gosh my brain is not working tonight um ross's ows uh, that's the name of my facebook group um and then you know when these books come out there will also be uh, a link in there or a url in there where you can sign up for uh my newsletter that comes out um it'll be coming out once a month it's been a lot more sporadic now recently but i'm picking back up on it. it'll be coming out once a month where. Anytime there's a sale on the books or anytime there's a uh, uh, we end up bundling the books and doing a sale on multiple books at once uh, like a box set um, that those are where you will fit and I do give I'll be doing giveaways and, and things of that nature and even competition so who knows you might even have a character named after you Ooh, that cool. may or may not make the vacuums of uh, the heartless vacuum of space. All
0: right. And you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades. You can find us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. We promise we even check it at least once a month. Uh, We have a blasters and blades uh, Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen, which is facebook.com backslash groups, backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Uh, again, that's Blasters and Blades podcast. And you can support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. I promise I will keep Doc uh, Suska and Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders.
1: Never surrender.
0: All right, and you can also support us on a reoccurring monthly basis if you so desire over at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades.
1: Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the absentee overworked Nick Garber, Jr. Hanley. I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom, pineapple on pizza, and how Pern is an amazing sci-fi.
0: All I have to